Welcome to the South Dakota Soybean Pod, brought to you by South Dakota soybean farmers and their checkoff. I'm Tom Stever talking about the incredible soybean, the people who grow it, and why that crop is so important. Renewable fuels have played a huge part in the demand and the value of soybeans, and specifically soybean oil. Conversely, renewable fuels production plays into the dynamics of livestock production and profitability. Today, we'll discuss this aspect of renewable fuels production and its impact on livestock production and sustainability. My name is Dr. Bob Toller. I'm a distinguished professor of animal science at South Dakota State University. My specialty swine, when we look at livestock production, 65-70% of the cost of production is involved with the feed side of it. Certainly, that's one of the reasons why nutrition is important. And secondly, as we look at utilizing the various feedstuffs, oftentimes they're co-products of some of our other industries in agriculture. So it's important to be able to help producers find the best diets, the most profitable diets, utilizing the resources around us. You've just answered the question of why many people would wonder that I'm talking to Dr. Bob Toller, swine specialist, about renewable diesel. So, Bob, what is the impact of renewable diesel production on soybean meal availability for livestock producers? I think it's going to be transformational, Tom. We always talk about when you look back at the ethanol industry, we can remember the days when not too long ago when corn was less than $2 a bushel because it was mainly used for livestock feed. That was the main market it went to. And then as the ethanol industry developed, I think most producers in those early days would have been happy with $3 a bushel corn, almost doubled kind of thing. The ethanol industry created a whole new market for corn. I think yesterday corn was $7.54 a bushel, a dramatic change. And that's what we're seeing with renewable diesel. So again, soybean oil obviously is used a lot in human nutrition. We do use some in livestock, but now all of a sudden with renewable diesel, here's a very large and potential growing market for oil that has nothing to do with livestock, but that has nothing to do with agriculture. So we're seeing, if you look at the California mandate, some of the other mandates and just progressive things, companies are doing, aviation companies, trucking companies, to have a renewable source of diesel that is going to change the total pricing of oil. I was looking at last week, soybean oil is 75 cents a pound. Two years ago, it was less than half of that. And so as we see the renewable diesel industry grow, actually that's going to pull a lot of oil out of livestock use. And again, if there's that huge demand for it, I'm just a simple swine nutritionist, but I did take a couple of econ classes with supply and demand. And if that demand is up there, we're going to see a lot more acres of soybeans planted. Bob, I'm curious. You were specific about renewable diesel production. Does this also fit with biodiesel production? There's some really differences in definition between the two. And sometimes I get those mixed up. But I think renewable diesel is basically plant-based. And that's going to be used for like sustainable aviation fuel. And again, biodiesel that tends to be more biomass function. But again, if something's changing renewable diesel, I think it'll also have an impact on biodiesel. The other thing that comes into play there, Tom, is certainly we're not only talking about corn oil or soybean oil, choice white grease from pigs, tallow, 
any of those use cooking oils and stuff, that can be all turned into renewable diesel as well. In the long run, Bob, what will greater soybean production to meet fuel demand do for livestock production and livestock producers? It's going to totally change the way we think about feeding livestock, pigs, poultry, and cattle especially. When we look at a protein source, amino acid source, soybean meal has always been the gold standard. It gives us the best balance of essential amino acids at the price compared to any other ingredient. But typically we have limited it. We've used a lot of synthetic amino acids because typically soybean meal is too expensive to use beyond what's required for. So if we see an increase of soybean production, which means soybeans are going to be gone to make oil, we're going to have a lot more soybean meal available, which means that's going to drop in price. So some of the projections that we looked at here, it's certainly not unfeasible to see corn and soybean meal at the same price. Because if you take a look at what it's going to take, how much new soybean oil plants, how much soybean oil production we're going to have to have that need, it will change industry. We could see a lot of current corn acres get switched over to soybean acres just simply because there's more money to be made on that soybean oil going into renewable diesel. Let's lean once again on your specialty, Bob, swine production and swine nutrition. What's the impact on pork and pig production? A couple things will happen. First of all, And here's even an indication how things have changed. Two to three years ago, we would still use soybean oil. We use corn oil. We'd use choice white grease in our lactating sow diets if feed intake was an issue. Certainly in our nursery diets, early grower diets up to 80 pounds, we could afford to add supplemental fat in there because they were energy deficient in those stages. If you look at it now with With corn oil at 64 cents, soybean oil at 75 cents, choice white grease at 70 cents a pound, we literally cannot afford to put fats and oils in livestock diets. So that's been one change. That's been the downside, right? Interesting, if soybean meal becomes that cheap, we could actually be using it as an energy source, not only a protein slash amino acid source, but as an energy source. I just saw a news release yesterday, Bob Goodman and the other guys at Kansas State took a look at the energy value that we use for soybean meal. And actually, I think for years, we've been underestimating it. So just that there's more research being done looking at the energy levels in soybean meal, I think is telling you something. So I think not only are we going to be using it as an amino acid source, but it's a good energy source. We just haven't used it as an energy source before because it's been too expensive. I think we're certainly going to see much higher levels of soybean meal come into swine diets if it becomes cost effective. And if you look at the potential growth, Tom, I think that's certainly a possibility. So how's that scenario changed in the last year? You know, I think a couple of things. Again, fat prices are still staying high. I think this year, We actually had more soybean acres planted than corn acres in the U.S. And also, I think within the last year or two, there's 16 soy crush plants that are either expanded production or brand new plants in Mitchell, South Dakota. We're getting a new soy crushing plant there. So actually, if you look at the value or the amount of soybeans, those new or expanding plants are used, that's going to be create a demand 
for 600 million bushel more soybeans than what we're doing now. We haven't seen soybean meal drop in price yet. We've seen oil go up. We've seen the infrastructure be created to process more soybeans. So I would expect once those new plants come online, once the plants that expanded are producing more soybeans, as that volume of soybean meal increases, that's going to lower the price. And I think people are going to start using it a lot more in livestock diets. You may have already answered this, Bob, but how do you think this will affect the price of soybean meal? I think it will drastically decrease it because, again, I know we export a lot of soybeans. We export a lot of soybean meal, but if soybean prices continue to stay high due to the demand for renewable diesel, that means less of it's going to get exported. Certainly the opportunity to export more soybean meal, but again, uh, as we're looking at a rail strike coming right up and we've done with port shutdowns and all those kinds of things, it's a much safer thing if we can keep that soybean meal domestically and feed to our livestock. So again, you look at transportation costs, I think there'll be a lot more soybean meal to use. And again, we're going to see much higher levels than we have. We found out last fall that we use a lot of synthetic amino acids in swine and poultry diets due to the problems in China with factory shuts down, with the COVID issues, with transport supply chain issues. We couldn't get all of that. And so once soybean meal prices drop down low enough, I think we'll see a decrease in the usage of synthetic amino acids as well. Bob, this is where I really want to lean on your expertise as a swine specialist. What's the effect on pig physiology and manure composition? That's a really good question. From a physiological standpoint, actually, we may see them be a little less efficient because we're feeding excess protein, right? And once the pig meets its protein amino acid requirement, then those excess amino acids get deaminated and turned into energy. So that is a cost. And so actually, it's a little bit like, Tom, we're putting the pigs on an Atkins diet. We're not getting rid of the carbohydrates per se, but we're feeding them much higher levels of protein that has to be deaminated. So physiologically, we're starting to do some research in this area. South Dakota, Minnesota, soybean councils are supporting that research. United Soybean Board is supporting research all of a sudden looking in this area. So right now, some of that speculation, physiologically, what's going to happen to gain, what's going to happen to feed efficiency, certainly what's going to happen to carcass. That's a really big question. I think it's really exciting, though, when it comes to the manure part. And I guess that kind of sounds strange, exciting about manure. But as again, we found out with fertilizer prices this year, swine manure, livestock manure is huge from an organic fertilizer standpoint. Tom, we used to say for a, a 2,400 head finishing barn, we could figure that manure value, NP and K, worth about $25,000 per year. Well, when urea nitrogen prices went sky high this spring, you look at it and it's probably closer to $35,000 per barn. And that's not including the 10% yield bump that you get when you use livestock fertilizer. But anyway, what feeding high levels of soybean meal to pigs will do will actually make that manure content better. Because typically what we see from a plant need standpoint, there's less nitrogen than phosphorus in there. So when we apply swine manure, typically we're over applying phosphorus per se. 
And so what some producers will do, they'll go ahead and put swine manure on at phosphorus needs of the plant and then come back and top dress with nitrogen. Obviously, another thing you can do is apply at nitrogen rate and then just keep an eye on phosphorus levels. But what's going to happen? So if we're feeding excess nitrogen, we're going to see a lot more nitrogen in that manure. So excess amino acids are going to be deaminated and that nitrogen is going to end up in the manure. So that nitrogen to phosphorus ratio in swine manure is going to get much better. Again, just more organic nutrients that we can apply and having more nitrogen in swine manure will make it easier to formulate, to calculate how to use it in a cropping system. It's kind of a double-edged sword. It really is. It, just like everything else in life, right? There's some good things and some bad things that happen about it. But again, instead of having to import fertilizers or transport them across the country, it's a really great thing if we can just utilize them locally. And again, we all talk about sustainability. That's why biodiesel, we're talking about it, right? If you're looking about sustainability and soil health, using livestock manure, swine manure, is one of the best things that's out there. We're not transporting it 3,000 miles. We're taking it down two miles from our barn to the field. And again, when you look at utilizing livestock manure, not only are you adding NP and K, Tom, but you're adding all the other micro minerals. You're adding a whole diverse set of microbial population. You've got the fiber in there. And actually we're working with the National Pork Board on developing a five-year plan to look at the impact of swine manure over a five-year period on soil health, crop production, all the different soil parameters you look at, water holding capacity at 17 different states in the country. Because again, livestock manure is the original organic fertilizer. It's sustainable and it creates that perfect relationship between crops and livestock. And here's where it really gets exciting to talk about pig manure. How does that all carry through from an environmental and sustainability standpoint, Bob? The one thing that, that a lot of people don't get about utilizing livestock manure is that it's unregulated, and that's false in most instances. So basically, the EPA has mandated that every state regulate manure application. Okay, and so for example, if you look at South Dakota, if you're going to build a CAFO, and that's simply anything over a thousand animal units. So before you even get the permit to build that barn, Tom, you have to demonstrate that you have enough land to spread that manure on. And then annually, you have to take soil samples, you have to take manure samples, you have to look at estimated crop yield, crop demand, and that dictates how much manure you can apply in the field. So by federal and state statutes, if you're a CAFO, and that's what most of our swine operations are today, you can only put swine manure on at crop uptake, okay? Interesting, that regulation doesn't hold for commercial fertilizer. So if I wanted to, I could go out there and put on twice as much urea as a crop needed just for that. This is going to be the year it's going to rain and everything is going to go well. And that excess nitrogen is going to end up in groundwater or it could end up in other places. And same thing, we look at lawn fertilizer, golf course fertilizers. There's no regulation there, but actually so from a sustainability and an environmental standpoint, we cannot legally overapply livestock manure to crop ground. And I think that's, again, something that people need to understand. And the other thing that we didn't talk about, 
and I think is just as important, and maybe you want to add just a little bit about that, is on the feedlot side. Because on the swine side, we always have used soybean meal. We just, now we're going to use more. But on the cattle side, with DDGS, in the last 20-some years, they haven't looked at using soybean meal. But actually now, it could get cheap enough where that becomes part of a feedlot diet. And you look at the number of feedlot animals we have in the United States, a 1,200-pound steer is going to eat a lot of feed. Bob, those are the questions I had. Is there anything else that you'd like to add to this that I may have left out? This would tie in with the livestock production part. How do we get that next generation back? We're at record high cash rent prices. We're at record high land prices. If we see soybean production and soybean demand go up, certainly that's not going to change. We're looking at a drought across the world. Western Europe, it's been the driest in 500 years. China has their worst drought since the 60s. And actually, if you think back then, I think there was a tremendous famine when 30 million people starved to death. The United States certainly were in a dry year. And so the prices are going to go up, which makes it really hard to bring that son or daughter back into the family farm. At least what we're seeing in South Dakota is swine production, livestock production is the only way that son or daughter can come back because there's not going to be a bank in the world that's going to loan somebody money for land at the prices they are today. That's just not going to happen. But if they get involved, if that young person gets involved in contract finishing, working in a swine operation, doing something like that, that is their ticket back to the family farm. We have a great young man in central South Dakota, wanted to go back and farm with his uncle and dad, bank went loan him money, but they did loan him money for two 2,400 head finishing barns. So on his 21st birthday, he went $1.5 million in debt, which doesn't seem like a good thing to do, but he had it figured out he had those barns paid off in seven years. So all of a sudden now on year eight, he's got $1.5 million in hard equity that's paid for. He's getting $150,000 or so a year for leasing of those swine barns. He's got the value of the manure. So the next time that quarter comes open next to him, the banker's going to look at him a lot more favorably. So again, I guess it's always a challenge to put up new swine barns, but people have to understand if we want to have young people coming back to the farm, if we want that sustainable, environmental-friendly way to handle agriculture, we've got to have livestock production, and we've got to have young people coming back to the farm. Bill Even is one of my favorite people, and when he was South Dakota Secretary of Agriculture, he had a great saying that's above my desk right now, Tom. It says, if you want to have jobs, you got to have chores. And that's where livestock comes in. If you've got a dairy, if you've got a beef feedlot, cow calf operation, if you've got hogs, 365 days a year, somebody's got to be there feeding them, cleaning them, taking care of them. And so as we look at the change in agriculture, certainly ethanol, renewable diesel, all those things are going to change how we look at it. But we've got to have young people coming back to the farm. There are some aspects of soybean-based renewable fuels that may not have been known to you. Dr. Bob Toller is a distinguished professor in animal science at South Dakota State University with a specialty in swine nutrition. The South Dakota Soybean Pod is brought to you by South Dakota Soybean Farmers and their Checkoff. 
Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and at sdsoybean.org. Hear the South Dakota Soybean Network on the air weekly on several South Dakota radio stations. Thank you for listening to the South Dakota Soybean Pod. I'm Tom Stever.